Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we continue our reflections into the gospel that we will hear this Sunday. And of course, we are in the season of Advent, the second Sunday of Advent. And it really is an honor for me to journey with you through each week as we reflect into the narrative of sacred scripture, the inspired word of God. Um, And I want to especially welcome all of you listeners out there who might be tuning in by way of podcast outside the country. I continue to look at the feeds and see that there are some listeners in uh, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, um, Ecuador, Paraguay, uh, Western Europe, Germany, France, Italy, uh, Portugal, Spain, in uh, India, and in Africa, South Africa. It really is a joy for me to journey with you in the sacred text, in sacred scripture, um, and all the more joy during a season such as Advent, huh? the second Sunday of Advent, uh, a period that really focuses us in on this call we have to wait, but not a waiting that just passes time. No, a waiting that is calling us to be vigilant, huh? a season that reminds us we need to be sober at heart, that we need to be clear in both mind and heart, um, to be aware is what this season is all about, to be watchful for the coming of Jesus Christ, yes, but also, my dear friends, in our encounters with one another, mindful that when we encounter one another, we are encountering Christ. So one of the challenges that the church puts before us during this season of Advent is really question, are we building up the kingdom of God person by person in our encounters? Or are we breaking down the kingdom of God? There is a poison out there, and that poison is gossip. And so we have to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, are we being vigilant? Are we being watchful? Are we aware of what we say and how we say it? Because as all of you know out there, it is not always just what we say, but more often how we say it that affects and hurts so many people. So we are called to be humble, mindful of what we say and how we say that indeed, both in word and inflection, we are building up the kingdom of God. What does this mean? We have to be secure in our relationships with Jesus Christ. Gossip often stems from insecurity, huh? And where does insecurity come from? Fear, right? Well, What does Paul remind us in Romans 8.15? That we did not receive a spirit of slavery in which we fall back into fear, but the spirit of sonship in which we cry, what? Abba, Father. So let us invoke the Father, mindful that we have no reason to fear. We have no reason to fall into that entrapment of the adversary because we can cry, Abba, Father. So let us find that security that is our relationship with Jesus Christ, that we might overcome that temptation that leads our tongue to be slanderous and full of fire, 
huh, as James reminds us. Okay, so being watchful is, yes, about preparing our hearts for the coming of the infant king here in a few weeks, but it also is about how we encounter one another, and it ought to wake us up. <laughs> there are many things before us that um, God calls us to be sober so that we might see them for what they are, all right? So, that being said, let us jump into the gospel text here. We are now in the gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the reign of Eturiae and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region about the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough way shall be made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Amen to that. Off the top, a word about these verses as they are situated in a very specific historical context, huh? You know, fairy stories usually begin something like what, huh? Once upon a time, there was a king. Or maybe a long, long time ago, there lived with his wife a poor fisherman. It's interesting. When you think about it, there are no precise details as to date or time in a fairy story, nor are we told where the action is happening, huh? It happened sometime, somewhere. Time and place, simply in fairy tales, play no great part. It is a matter of typical human situations and fundamental experiences that are in some sense universally valid. Fairy tales tell a story, not history. You see, my friends, it is quite different with today's gospel. How? Well, it is reporting history. It is just not telling a story, but a story in history. It talks about a particular moment in the history of the world, not about an indeterminate long ago, you see. It does not say once upon a time, but it gives an exact date. The 15th year of the reign of the emperor Tiberius was when? Roughly 27 to 29 AD. At that time, the cruel Pontius Pilate was Roman governor of Judea. Herod the Great's two hated sons, both immoral and equally cruel, were what? But local princes by the goodwill of the emperor. The two high priests are known to us from our Lord's trial. You see, my friends, Luke situates John the Baptist's ministry on the timeline of world events, intending readers to view him in the light of both civil and religious history. I believe this point to be so important today, because so often we want to separate faith from politics, what is religious with what is civil, when in reality you will not find anywhere the gospel texts do that. Why is that so? Well, <laughs> because you cannot 
remove the in God from the for other. It's fascinating to see how Luke moves from a wide focus to a more narrow one by considering first the Roman emperor, then Palestine's local rulers, to ultimately Israel's priestly leaders, Annas and Caiaphas. He wants us to see something, and that something is how we think about time. Huh? That history itself is being transformed in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. I mean, have you ever thought about it? B.C. and A.D.? I will never forget, I think it was roughly 1994, I was sitting in my history Western Civ class, the professor comes into the room, and he says, I have an announcement to make. And he kind of built it up, huh? He made it a big deal. And boy, he had our attention. I have an announcement. And he brought out this timeline, and he says, this timeline is no more. All of us in the classroom, we, we kind of look at each other. What do you mean? He would go on to explain how we can no longer use B.C. and A.D., right? Because B.C. was before Christ, and A.D., I know, Domini, year of the Lord, huh? in that language of, of tolerance. So it's now B.C.E. and C.E. B.C.E., of course, is before Common Era, and C.E. is Common Era. And the problem you have, if your desire was to remove Christ from the narrative, is you still have something intersecting that horizontal line, right? Which is the, the incarnation, the birth of Christ. You ever think about that? Whether or not you call it B.C. and A.D. or B.C.E. and C.E., you still have something that intersects that line, and that something is someone, huh? And of course, that someone is the person of Jesus Christ. And the message that he established in the incarnation is quite simple. Time itself is something that is sacred, huh? You have chronos and kairos. What is chronos? Chronos is that time which is quantitative. It is linear. It is that sequential time. It is the time we put into our iPads, iPhones, and planners, and so on. Kairos, on the other hand, is what is not quantitative, but qualitative. It is not horizontal, but vertical. In its biblical sense, the appointed time and the purpose of God. And point of fact, the Hebrew word for day itself, yom, underscores this, where days are not to be measured by clocks, but literally translated purpose. Because my friends, kairos is purpose-driven time. The Baptist is an acute reminder that the revelation of God isn't just about informing us of the ways of God, but more about transforming us into the very divine likeness of God here on earth in temporal time. This is all very important to uh, Luke. huh? He wants to make sure we understand that the story about Jesus Christ is real, <laughs> is real, and that the revelation of Jesus Christ isn't just about information, but transformation. Transformation of mind and heart, body and soul. Amen to that. Now, all of that being said, this Sunday's gospel, for all intents and purposes, is concerned entirely with the figure of the Baptist. From the moment of his birth, the Baptist was greeted by his father as what? A prophet. 
What is that passage that comes to us from Luke chapter 1, verse 76? And you, child, be called prophet of the Most High, because you will go before the Lord to prepare the ways for him. What did the precursor do to be defined as a prophet? And as Luke 7, 28 reminds us, the greatest of all prophets, huh? Well, first of all, in the line, of course, of the ancient prophets of Israel, he preached against oppression and social injustice, one of the great themes you see of Old Testament prophecy. The words of Pope Francis, if no one has a tunic, give him one. If, if no one has a meal to eat, then feed them. Echo down into the stories of the prophets. And certainly, my friends, we can say, most notably, the Baptist. To the tax collectors, who so often drained away the money of the poor with arbitrary requests, the Baptist said what? Do not mistreat anyone or commit extortion. There are also the sayings of the Baptist about making the mountains low, raising up the valleys, and straightening the crooked pathways, huh? Today, we might translate them as what? Every unjust social difference between the very rich, the mountains, and the very poor, the valleys, must be eliminated or at least reduced. The crooked roads of corruption and deception must be made straight. This is really the essence of the message of Pope Francis and what we are gently reminded of. And you've heard me talk about this in other nights, <laughs> that we are not to let our political affiliations and ties confuse the essence of the gospel. If we can do more, then let us do more. And this is something that is just not tied to Pope Francis. Recall John Paul II in 1981, in the middle of Yankee Stadium, applauding the West for what they do and what they give. But he also challenged them, everyone in that stadium and every ear willing to listen. You give from what you have, from your excess, now give from what you don't have. Share in the mystery of Christ crucified. That comes from, again, not Pope Francis, certainly that's a part of his message, but that line, that quote, was from John Paul II, Yankee Stadium. Huh? So we need to be mindful of, of the bigger picture here, that what John the Baptist is talking about is, yes, tied to Pope Francis, but has been the voice of the church for 2,000 years. Now, up to this point, we can probably recognize a contemporary understanding of a prophet, you know, one who pushes for change, who, who denounces the injustices of the system, who points his finger against power in all its forms, religious, economic, military, and dares to cry out in the face of the tyrant. As Matthew 14, 4 reminds us, that is not right. It is not right. But there is something else that is really quintessential to the gospel message, and is what we hear from the Baptist. Make note that in Luke chapter 1, verse 77, what does he say? Well, our Lord gives to the people a knowledge of salvation, of the remission of their sins. Where we might ask ourselves, is the prophecy in this case? I mean, that's a fair question because the prophets announced a future salvation. But John the Baptist does not announce a future salvation. He indicates a salvation that is now what? In the here and now literally, in the present. He is the one who points his finger toward the person and cries out, 
not behold, he is coming, but behold, as John 1 29 reminds us, here it is, here he is. That which was awaited for centuries is now here. He is the one. I mean, imagine if you were there. I have done this before when reading John chapter 1. I've put myself into that scene on more than one occasion, and it is always fascinating to me to think about our Lord coming over the mountain and Him looking down at the Baptist baptizing in the River Jordan, the Baptist looking up at our Lord and not saying, Behold, the Prince of Peace, behold, the King of Kings, but behold, the Lamb of God. Of course, an image that is rich in sacred scripture. Certainly we think of the Lamb of God as that which was to be slaughtered at the festival of Passover, right? Well, there's a new Passover. There's a new festival. There's a new feast. And this is what we call the Eucharist. So he says, behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, here it is. You no longer have to wait. Fascinating. The traditional prophets helped their contemporaries look beyond the wall of time and see into the future. But John helps the people to look past the wall of contrary appearances to make them see the Messiah hidden behind the semblance of man like others. The Baptist in this way inaugurated the new form, Christian form of prophecy, we could say, which does not consist in proclaiming a future salvation in the last times, but to reveal the hidden presence of Christ in the world. What does all of this have to say to us? That we too must hold together those two aspects of the office of prophet. On one hand, working for social justice, and on the other, announcing the gospel, right? A proclamation of Christ that is not accompanied by, by an effort toward human betterment would result in what? Something very disincarnate and certainly something lacking credibility, huh? If we only work for justice without the proclamation of faith and without the regenerative contact with the Word of God, what would we be doing but limiting ourselves? And quite frankly, my friends, we would end up as mere protesters. I said it earlier this week when I was with John O'Hara. The corporal and spiritual works of mercy are mutually illuminating, huh? Mutually illuminating. Ah, speaking of spiritual works of mercy, <laughs> do we not have the Baptist preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins? Huh? What do we mean by the word repentance? By the way, it's always good to get a refresher on what that word means. The Greek is metanoia. It literally translates a change of mind. It involves a twofold movement of the heart, one who repents, turning away from sin and toward God. So the twofold movement is the away from sin and toward God. Now, typically, what does this entail? But genuine sorrow for past failings and a firm resolve to avoid them in the future. Huh? Often, our resolve is tied to some sort of penance huh? as we pray our penance or perform our penance in some sort of act, we are mindful of both our contrition and our resolve. Incidentally, what does the word resolve mean? I find this to be quite interesting. It comes from the Latin resolutio, 
which literally translates the process of reducing things into simpler forms or to loosen. Huh? Our resolve to change, my friends, does what? It alleviates the tension in our lives and calls us to live in holy simplicity. We have our New Year's resolutions, and those are often tied to another kind of loosening, <laughs> loosening of the belt. We're going to get up at 6 a.m. and work out, lose those 10 pounds that we've gained over the past two months. Our spiritual resolve is about a different kind of loosening and alleviating of that tension that is built up over a period of time when we do not forgive one another, when we do not forgive ourselves. And how about contrition? Huh? What is contrition all about? Well, when our souls meet Christ, the encounter should bear the mark of contrition, where our heart might be smitten by Christ, that we might be echoing the words of Peter, huh? Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Confrontation of our own selves with God does what? It renders us aware of our own unworthiness and sinfulness. Suddenly, the guilt we incur burns our souls and we begin to reject evil and revert to God. Because in the end, contrition itself awakens the soul in its depth. How? Why? Because our encounters with Christ, when they are real, invade our souls through and through, and all we want to do is to be with God. Amen to that. My dear friends, St. John the Baptist came to us in history with a very real message, and that message was simple. Repent and believe. The kingdom of God is at hand. So let us repent, mindful that once again, the revelation of God is just not about information, but transformation. And as God invades our souls through and through, we transform history. Remember that great line from John Paul II, that history in of itself is not a series of chronological events, but an event of man, an event of freedom. Let us choose love, and in so doing, transform history. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.